Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off of Frameworth podcast for yet another week. And I am joined in studio by the one and only Brian Aaronworth, adjusting his mic. You couldn't have done that before we started. Here no, you go. You didn't give live, me enough time. Live on air, live <laughs> on air. We just, we, we dragged you in from your office to get you into a recording. That's Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. And we have a guest waiting in the wings who we will get to in a little bit. But before we do, as we always do, we wanted to give a little bit of a shout out to our loyal listeners who have been so gracious in giving us rating and reviews on whichever podcast platform you listen to. Spotify, iTunes, a reminder, if you listen on Spotify, you're now able to give ratings and reviews or, or at least just ratings. So make sure to give us those five stars. This one comes from Mark Wright 20 via Apple Podcasts. A great listen, five stars. If you're into great stories told by some of the best to play the game, this is for you. They talk all things sports, including the memorabilia side of the business. And that's right. You know, it's the podcast where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. Um, enough, enough patting on the back. But uh, Mark, as, as always, reach out to us, sign off pod at framework.com. We got a special signed 8x10 photo coming your way. Uh, and we'll talk about some of your favorite teams. And, and maybe because our guest is in a, uh, a Team Canada jersey, we'll get you uh, an 8x10 Team Canada photo sent that out to you good. that way. Yep, for sure. Um, and it's a Canadian icon we're interviewing today. Our guest this week is a man likely more used to asking the questions than answering them. But today, it's time to shine the spotlight on a man whose illustrious career spanned roughly 40 years and earned him multiple broadcasting awards and nominations, not to mention a Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for volunteer work. It's the voice now synonymous with Canadian sports broadcasting, Rod Black. Rod, thanks for joining us today. Hello, guys. Look uh, at you two. Well, Number one, him, Brian Aaronworth, my old winger. Uh, where's that red solo cup you got? <laughs> there it is. That's, that's, hey, that's the way we play. And Mikey, now Hello. we know the answer to the question that everybody always asks me. Rod, Which... what did you do with your mustache? I, you know what? Clearly, I, I gave it to you. I, I, I wear it Clearly, I honor. gave it. You wear that thing well, man. Thank you very much. I, I took my inspiration from you and uh, actually led into one of the questions I was going to ask later in, in the podcast, All right. what, what your future entails and whether or not oh, it involves nice. a mustache, because we'd, we'd love to see it. But listen, nice. I will gladly take the reins, uh, you know, getting into this uh, business of, of broadcasting in some capacity as well. Um, uh, we'll, 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 we'll take a lot of, of cues from you and, and the career that you led. Um, and I'd love to I'd love to get into this because there's so much that we have to cover. Obviously, I mentioned in the introduction, a career that spanned roughly 40 years uh, and, and something that that I started when I was five. I don't think anybody knows that. It's, 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 it's a long time. <laughs> started when you were five. Yeah, uh, it was a, I, had a mustache. Now. I had a mustache when I was five. Right out of the womb. Right out yeah, of the womb. Right, That's right. how Actually, it goes. Yeah, cl- very close. It started growing around uh, the six month mark uh, <laughs> postnatal. It was it was uh, traumatic for my parents, but. I, I didn't shave for quite some time. Yeah, I think I, I think it was it was great for your image and for your career as well. <laughs> Listen, I think uh, my my mom is equequally as traumatized by my face every time she sees oh, it. And I'm funny. 33 years removed from the womb, so not Did much. Did pops ever have one? No, you, you know I tried the but the curly hair and the gray, and it never came in. You know what? I think it was more my wife who kept telling me, "You look ugly with it. shave it off," or <laughs> she's cutting me off. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, but to be fair, she says that about you regardless of whether we're talking no, about facial true. hair. So yeah, good point. This is just a whole different conversation. Uh, I do want to talk though about, you know, you talk about about you as five years old and, and one of the things I'd love to do over the course of this episode is A, talk a little bit about your early days. I'd love to get to know you. I'm sure a lot of our listeners would as well, as well as how you got involved in, in the business and then just talk about what it was like in those 40 years. To, to start us off, you, you kind of joke about you being five years old when you first got into broadcasting. But we've had a lot of past guests on this podcast. I'm thinking Gus Badali, Stan Butler, who essentially tell the story of getting to where they ended up being and 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 becoming famous for it without ever having expected to be in that situation mm-hmm. in the first place. You went to school for creative communications. Something tells me that it was always your goal to get into this line of work. Is that the case? Um, you know what? I would say probably when I was about 16, 17, because I've had like all of these turning points, TSN turning points, I guess right. you could say, in my life. Um, but, and, and a shout out to my friend, Gus Badali, who, by the way, um, is I, I saw the episode, he's fantastic. One of the greatest storytellers, one of the greatest people, greatest agents ever. He's the godfather to a couple of my kids. Hey. Um, he was uh, and so the best humble. man at my wedding. Uh, he looks great for 123 years old. He's an amazing guy. <laughs> I love him. And, you know, ever since that episode on The Sopranos, he's been just skyrocketing through the world. So I love that guy. But, no, you know, it's so funny, you guys. I started, um, frankly, uh, wanting to be an athlete, wanting to, to – I, I dreamed about being – my hero was Bobby Hull growing up or mm-hmm. Bobby Orr or Jean Beliveau. I, I right. grew up in Winnipeg at a young age, and, and then uh, – you know, playing hockey and football. I played every sport, baseball, basketball, you name it. I really kind of got into more basketball like when I was 11 and 12. And here's a little known fact. I wanted to be the first white Harlem Globetrotter. I, I can tell you, I worked on all of those, all of those tricks. I worked on them all. And I, I did actually very well. And I got a chance, I can tell you later, is that I, in my life, I got a chance to actually play with the Globetrotters. But oh, so, really? you know, fast forward, I was, uh, I, you know, I, I really wanted to, to play. And I love the games. I still love every game imaginable. But at the tender age, probably of nine or 10, I was also a bit of a mimic and uh, an impressionist. Okay. And so I was going on local radio station in Winnipeg in the morning and I was doing all these voices and a lot of these people and I would go on as a character. Uh, I was Raymond J. Johnson Jr. You doesn't have to call me Johnny. You <laughs> can call that. me Ray and you can call me Jay. And I was doing Wolfman and all these other voices and everybody thought this, this guy must be some, some wacko who's you know in his 30s, but I was like nine and 10. And I used to, <laughs> I, that, was, that was before we had mobile phones. That was uh, you know the, 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 the corded phone. <laughs> you know, you plug Walking into around the wall. your kitchen Remember those? It? And Mike, you would know this. Uh, Brian would know. You actually had to dial. Yeah. There's this thing, folks out there. You dialed, and it was a the dial. rotary phone. You actually the rotary wait for phone, it right? to go back before you could do another one. So yeah. I used to, you know, um, dial into those radio stations all the time, trying to win contests and going. So I kind of had this inkling that I'd like to do more, and then I got into theater. And and again, I was playing sports. And around 15, I got a job. My first job was at a roller rink. In Winnipeg, when roller skating, again, Mikey, not for you. So when they used to have this thing, roller skating. I have a mustache. I'm very familiar with this era. Yeah, there you go. You look like a roller DJ. And uh, (laughs) so I um, got a job as a skate guard. And the first night I went, oh, my gosh. And the place is like, we'd have 500 people a night. It was crazy, crazy time. Very popular. Disco roller skating, rock and roll roller skating. And I saw the DJ and I said, hey, I want to do that. 
That's a much better job than taking people's right. stinky skates. <laughs> so a couple uh, weeks later, I started doing that, and I loved it. And it um, it kind of forged where I wanted to go next, and and that was into broadcasting. But I still I still had this dream of playing sports, and I think probably to this day we all do. Uh, Brian, I'm sure you yeah, still do. Yeah. And I have dreams at night that you know I got a chance. I got called up by the Leafs or the Jets or the Bombers or the Argos or whoever. And so uh, I had a couple scholarship offers in hockey and basketball. I was around 17, and I'll never forget, I was on my way down to one of the visits at Bemidji State in Minnesota with my buddy, and we got over the border, and for some reason I had this kind of epiphany or turning point, and I just said, you know, I don't know if I I, want to do this. I think I'd like to get into broadcasting. There was a local course there uh, called Creative Communications at Red River, and I put my application in and waited patiently, and I got in like I was 17 because it was a little bit different in Manitoba, the, the grading system. You go to grade 12 and you, I think you're a little bit younger there anyway. I got in, I was very young into school and I'm not, honestly not a great student and I was still playing sports, still working in bars and, and roller rinks and, and I didn't have time to kind of even concentrate. But there was a job opening uh, at the end of my first year at a local TV station, CKY. And it's a major CTV affiliate. And all the people in my class said, you should try out for this. You love sports. And, you know, you want to, they always thought I was going to be a game show host. That was the big thing. Right. I st- now, did you, did you take that? Was that, was that a compliment or an insult to you? Because some people say game show host. When someone, uh, people have said. Yeah, uh, both. Uh, both. It don't matter. Wh- what is yes? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I went, I, I, I applied and I. I'll never forget. I said, you know what? I, and I had this big fro, man. I had a fro and a stash, not as good looking as that stash. <laughs> and I applied and uh, lo and behold, I got the job and it kind of changed my life. And I, uh, as, as much as my friends were, you know, I was 18 years old. My friends were all out, you know, every night and doing their stuff. I really, it was like going to college for me as a young broadcaster. And I worked my butt off. And a few years later, you know, I, you, you graduate, you get, you get more reps, you get better, you, you get an opportunity. An opportunity came uh, doing the Jets games. Uh, I love. I want to. I want to move into that, like the Jets games and, and that. But I, I'm curious. You you describe this time in your life when your dream was to be a professional athlete, and it probably, as is the case, I think with most parents, took your parents some time to think. Okay, I'm going to be comfortable with my son trying to be a professional athlete, like wrapping your head. No, just go get a regular job, go get an office job. Yeah. And then you shift from professional athlete to broadcaster. Was that, yeah. was there more comfort in that or less? Or were your parents just comfortable um, letting you do what you wanted to do? No, you know what? Honestly, uh, my parents were great. And I, I, you know, and we all say that you wouldn't be here without your parents, but my parents right. were, um, my dad, first of all, was also a fringe professional hockey player. He, you know, went to Ranger camp. He played for the Flint Flon Bombers when he was growing up, uh, the Memorial Cup teams that they had in Flin Flon for many years. And I just think he saw the pressure himself. And so he never put any pressure on us. I played every imaginable sport. We were always playing games. Um, I, I think where I came from, you guys, in a, a very small suburb uh, of Winnipeg, I don't think it led to the cultivation of dreams. I really don't think. Right. And I just think it's because of culture within. Nobody ever did it. So I wanted to be that first. And one, th- one of the great things I think that, and I, I would tell other parents out there is, give your kid the opportunity to dream. Mm-hmm. Don't take away their dreams by saying they cannot. My parents never said I couldn't do anything. They right. never said I could though. 
They never gave me false hope either, but they never said either. And I think that's an important thing. Yeah. And when your kids all of a sudden, and and Brian, you probably, as as a dad, you probably had to go through this as well. When your kid says, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I, as a parent now say this because my dad and my mom and dad said, okay, that's fine. You don't have to do that. But guess what? Find something else. Find right. another yeah. dream. Yeah. Can't just find another dream. And I think that's, that was the beauty of, w- of what my parents instilled in me at a, a young age. And they gave me every, every opportunity. And we didn't have any money. Like, man, I came from, you know, people could say like, you know, the other side of the tracks, we didn't even have tracks. I mean, it was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we had nothing, you know, and we had four boys living in a 800 square foot home. My office is bigger than the house that we lived in growing up. But right. I got to tell you, we didn't want for anything because every single day, you guys, I had, my brothers had, we had sports and we went outside. We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't go on TikTok. We went outside and pretended to be the next, you know, whoever right. it was. For me, it was Fran Tarkenton as a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. We went right. outside and played every single day until mom called Rod, Derek, Sean, dinner, dinner. That's what we did. That was the era. Where the lights come on. <laughs> Where the lights. Hey, Brian, that's, do you remember? That's the yeah. way it was. And I'm not saying this era is any different or that era was better. And I don't want to be my dad because he used to say that. But it was different. Yeah, And it was course. different. And You never, you never had, um, when you got home from school, you never went inside. You no. would go out and it was ball hockey. Yep. It was baseball. Whatever it was, you were outside playing. Now, the athletes today, they got to be doing something because they're as good or better than than the past in terms of the way they train and right. all that. But I think there, there are always going to be people who have dedication, regardless yeah. of whether there are temptations to go on mm-hmm. TikTok and on your phone, et cetera. TikTok is always mm-hmm. the scapegoat, Twitter, whatever the yeah. social media is or the distraction is. I was lucky enough to grow up at a time where I do remember the whole concept of getting home from school and all you could do was go play road mm-hmm. hockey. We had like a Nintendo at home, but it was it was more about mm-hmm. the communal element, which I think is is largely going away in some cases. I'm sure it exists in some capacity. And and you know, Rod, to 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 your credit, it seems as though you've taken some of those lessons that you learned from your parents in raising your kids. I know Tyler, your son, was recently drafted mm-hmm. uh, to Milwaukee, I believe, 33rd overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let let him live his dreams, and, and apparently he did. Was, was I'm not putting a lot of pressure him? on him, but a future frame worth client, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get him signed up. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. also. I love also, Rod. You know, you're talking about because I was curious. You you've you've covered so many sports. We talked about hockey, how you loved basketball, but you've called football, golf, basketball, bowling, boxing, baseball, hockey, uh, and and we're even known as the the voice of figure skating in Canada. I, I like that you're giving us this this establishment of, you know, I grew up playing all sports. I, I welcomed all comers. So you always mm-hmm. had a base familiarity. But then something like bowling comes along. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder, even if you didn't have an experience with it, what would your process be when you're asked, you know, hey, Rod, I know you're doing great over here. Here's a sport. You may or may not mm-hmm. be familiar with it. What is that kind of grace period that you need to familiarize yourself with something new to a degree where you're comfortable mm-hmm. sounding like and becoming embodying the expert voice on that subject? Well, you know, Mikey, by uh, you got to do it by attrition too. Like sometimes when I came to Toronto uh, with the CTV job, I was hired to be a host for Olympic Games, Blue Jay broadcasts, but also right. a Saturday show at the time was Wide World of Sports, which, right. you know, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat and all of that. And then they were a lot of eclectic fringe sports as well. And so 
I would have to gravitate to those. Uh, I will tell you that, again, I think, you know, you made a good point is my base is that I played everything. I tried everything. And so that's right. kind of my thing now is people, I know it's, it's a question. I hate to give, take away the question you're going to ask. What's your favorite? I will tell you that I don't have, it's whatever tomorrow brings. Sure. And right. so I, that's the kind of mentality I've always had. And so the process would be, I know nothing about this. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I got an analyst beside me. And I'm not going to try to be an expert at it, but I'm going to call it as I see it. And I'm a guy who likes to have fun. And, and, and if I do think that the beauty of sport is that there's no ending that's ever written. It's very unpredictable. So I, I remember what we have shows come in. Oh, you, again, I, I, say, I think even polo, water polo, uh, lawn, lawn bowling. And, right. you know, we'd have the, the tape come in during the week or it was on the shelf for months then we'd have to go revoice it, right? Right. And they kept saying, well, go in and uh, take a look at the tape and then come back and, and we'll do it. I said, no, I'm not doing it that way. I want Wait, to treat so it as you, it's can live. Can you explain that? that? I'm not familiar with that process. So you would receive the sport. But, yeah, I can tell you even to this day, even some of the Olympic sports you're watching, with all due respect to our friends in the U.S., a lot of those are retaped and revoiced after the fact. They're wow. getting away from it now. But it happened a lot, especially I remember going to the Olympics in 92 and 94. They would watch, especially for the primetime show, they would watch an event, let's say like short track or skating, see sure. it, then they go and voice it. To me- And that that's almost cheating because you- It's you, totally one, cheating. You, you don't come across it. You, you already know the results. Yeah. So now you can kind of almost- yeah predict what's going right. on or Brian, or, it's a dark or, secret that we had in this, this, this in broadcast for a long time. And I like, I, I will tell you that here. Canadian broadcasters have done it. Uh, we have done it up until I would say probably the early two thousands. They said, let's get, we can do it live. And the, the thing was because they wanted to package and build drama. And I always right, thought, right. Why, why would you do that? It's not authentic. I'm not going to fake it and overact it. So, right. um, it, it, it went on for a, a long, long time. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew there were some things that mm -hmm. had to be done that way yeah. out of necessity because yeah. you couldn't send somebody there or whatever. Or you didn't get it till later. Yeah. But I didn't know that that was a common practice. Here's, here's an example. Now, here's one that I didn't cheat, but I had to go. One of the, the, the coolest assignments, I, had, I got a, we did squash, and there was a, a squash match between a great Canadian Jonathan Power and... Uh, Jahangir Khan, one of the greatest ever. And right. I went to, um, I got a chance to go to Cairo. To, so we go, a lot of times we would go and we would just go and do the on cameras. This is the old days when you had lots of tape. I did skiing that way. Todd Brooker and I would go to ski events. We do our on cameras. Then we kind of watch the event unfold. Then we go back and voice a week later. It, it constantly worked that way. Just the way television was, you couldn't get it live. We didn't have the right. technology. Right. So I got to go to Egypt and do that. So here I'm going to Egypt watching this match. Uh, in, in a, and I'll never forget the pyramids in the background, in a glass encased um, squash court, and then having to come back. The thing that I do remember, though, is I got down to like the last, you know, few points. I walked away. I didn't want to see how it ended. But right. again, you kind of knew the result. To right. me, it always took away. And so back to your original question, Mike, is I always... One of the things that I've always prided myself, and I think every broadcaster would, that, right. that I guess gets to a network level, is that you do the homework. And you do mm -hmm. lots of homework. And right. um, 
the, it's hard work and it's prep. I kind of, right now I'm kind of a free agent right now, kind of weighing what I'm going to do next. And sure. one thing I do miss is I miss the games, but I get to watch them. I miss game day. I miss the smells and I miss the, the, the athletes, the ice, the field. I really miss the prep, the hard work. Cause that broadcast, the football broadcast or a bowling broadcast, the, the two hours, I always equate every 10 minutes takes about four hours of prep. So, you know, you got it, you're doing like 24, 48 hours and you prepare all week, especially for like football or baseball's a little different. It's a day-to-day game. Uh, basketball too. You had a little bit of leeway in between or hockey. Football's very unique because you have a whole week to prepare and you kind of go through all of the storylines and you also go through uh, the possibilities, especially with right. your analyst. And you don't want to be surprised. And another thing is you don't want to get names wrong. And so right, I'm, I'm a real stickler for that. So yeah. It's, it's the work. It's you put the work so in, when you're, when input you're, when equals you're pre- output. When you're preparing for uh, an event like this, and you, you said something interesting there, you know, you, you want to be prepared for every potential storyline. Is part of the prep work actually envisioning every possible outcome to this game mm. so that you have something to lean on? Or, or for the most part, is your work just learning the names, learning mm. the drama coming into it, and then improvising as the game plays yeah, out? Yeah, I would say probably more that. I think there's, yeah. there's some people that think, you know, you kind of have to invent endings or script endings. I've never right. been a guy like that. Um, you kind of know... Um, in the late going of a game, the final two minutes, that's kind of you. You got to, you got to yep. be that soundtrack and you've got to get it right. Um, you've got to, if you're, if you're calling a game, that's really important. Like let's, let's say like Sidney Crosby's golden goal, for mm-hmm. example, there's always a question, you know, was that call in, in the, the heads of the announcers as it's going mm-hmm. on? Do you ever have something like if something happens, I'd love to be able to say it this way. Or do you think that it seems like what you're saying is the best work that you put out is what comes naturally yeah. because you're trying to be the experience of the viewer. And the yeah. viewer is not thinking, I want to say something about the goal. They just want to experience it yeah. as it comes up. I think sometimes you don't have to say anything. You know, the crowd works it. I will tell you that any broadcaster also says that they never scripted something is lying that everybody right. has at one time. And then they realize later, <laughs> I don't like that. You know, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? So, you know, that you go both ways, but I think as you get into the booth after a while, you just realize you just kind of let the game, you build to a moment, you let the game come to, come to you as a, as like an athlete would. Right. And you want to be informative and and make sure that, you know, you got numbers, you got plays. Uh, If there's controversy, here's another one that, that is a common uh, refrain that we hear is rules, you know? You right. want to make sure you got the rules right, especially right. in golf. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many dang rules in golf. And then, you know, we just recently saw one which was absolutely ludicrous um, on the PGA Tour on a drop that fell. And I didn't even know. I just automatically, and I've done so many golf broadcasts. Right. I've had so many of those where you go, really? So even when you think you know, there's still more to know. And that's the beauty of what I've loved to do through the years is that every single day I've learned something. Getting to the rule books. But uh, just a quick quick question. So Chris Cuthbert, not Chris Cuthbert, um, who, as I say, uh, oh, Tom Cheek. Tom Cheek, touch them all, Joe. Mm. That was scripted, you think? or No, no, it just seems so natural. No, I think I would say the same. And I think touch them all goes back a lot of years. And one of the reasons is because Joe was jumping so much that if he doesn't. That's what came to mind. The run doesn't count if he misses right, a base. Right, right, right. right? right. So he now wants that, to touch him because it, I, I, I don't think it would have mattered anyway. 
but if he misses the base, it doesn't go down as a home run for him, right? Right. Like that, right. that run doesn't count. So I think he saw him, touch him all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life, and uh, it will go down in history forever as one of the greatest calls. And it, because it was truly, truly authentic. And it's right. because Joe's jumping. Joe jumped in 1992. He was jumping. He, he's, you know, fact is he was the last guy to touch the ball in both of those World Series in 92 and in 93. And it's funny, just I, I just was talking with Joe earlier today. We're working on a, something for his golf tournament. He comes back every year and he does such a great job with with uh, charities in Toronto. And, you know, I always say to him, man, it's it's good thing that you got that that home run. It, the Alfredo Griffin Golf Classic or the Darnell Coles Golf Classic <laughs> might not have been I'll the tell same. You why it's not the same feel. He sure pulls in some of the top celebrities for any yeah. golf tournament that I've ever seen. I right. mean, there, I've been, as you know, Rod, we run into each other in a lot yeah. of these tournaments, and boy, the, the people that come to town for his uh, are yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, I think it. Snoop Dogg. I, I, oh, Snoop Dogg. That's that, that's a, Charlie. We were Sheen. joking about that. We were joking about that last night because after that tournament, we're James Dodds, the day, the day who, after, who we Super all know, or yeah. with TD Bank and helps with all this stuff, and uh, and he invited me to the big suite that they have in between the, after the tournament, and and Gretz was there, and Snoop Dogg was there, and I happened to be talking to Gretz at the time, and Snoop Dogg came there, and all of a sudden the TV cameras caught us on, <laughs> and every, I my phone starts like blowing up in my pocket. And I'm wondering what the hell did somebody die? And they were all trying to tell me that I was on TV with Snoop Dogg and Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> yeah. There was some serious were you, were you, street cred Were you, were you blowing there. a bong at the time? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I could get high just smelling them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, and I hate to name drop. I, I hate name dropping. I, I said that to Justin Bieber earlier today, um, but, <laughs> but I got to tell you a quick Snoop Dogg story. So, uh, all-Star Game in New York, NBA All-Star Game, New York City. And Morris Peterson and I are working together during the week doing all of the pregame stuff. And I love Mo Pete, one of my favorite athletes of all time. Just a great dude. So this is when Uber had was just coming out. And I didn't know anything about Uber or Uber or whatever it was. Right. And Mo and I were staying at different hotels. I was staying at the Bell-provided uh, $149 a night and he was staying at the whatever his 1,499 a night. Anyway, he phones me and goes, Roddy, Roddy, listen, I'm going to pick you up right away. Snoop and I are picking you up. Uh, and I didn't know what he's talking about, Snoop and I. Uh, we're gonna, and then we'll go to the garden. I, I'm in an Uber. I go, what the hell is an Uber? So I go downstairs and I remember and it was so cold. It was like, like the Toronto NBA All-Star Game was a year or a couple years after that. It was cold. This was really cold in New York. So I'm sitting out there freezing and all of a sudden this black Escalade pulls up and I'm looking and I'm looking and door opens and it's Mo Pete and he's freezing. Roddy, come on, come on. And as I get closer, this purple cloud of smoke <laughs> comes out of this Escalade. And, and honestly, I, I have never imbibed uh, in, in cannabis in my life or, or probably never will. I'm not a big fan of the smell of it. Sure. And so here I am, I'm walking in and there's Mo Pete and, and Snoop <laughs> in the vehicle. Uh, I can tell you right now, I've never smoked drugs, but I didn't have to that day. I'm sure I needed <laughs> potato chips about two hours later because I was higher than a kite. But that, but that, that was Snoop Dogg, man. And that, that oh, was man. so cool to see him at the Super Bowl. But you're right about the Joe Carter. You name all the celebrities. Like he's, he's had Barkley and Gretzky and some of the greats who have passed away, like Walter and Gordie Howe. 
Uh, Mean Joe Green, like you name it, through the years, he has had these uh, great, great, iconic athletes. And, And again, it goes back to his great heart. But the fact that he did touch them all, and now he's touching everybody's hearts again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a great moment. And I, I love, too, because you we had just gotten off of you talking about the amount of preparation that goes into doing a, a broadcast in, in any form. And then you bring up Joe Carter. And you've obviously uh, uh, done broadcasting alongside a lot of athletes, Joe Carter, Pat Tabler, obviously, people that you've spent a ton of time doing broadcasting with. But... For an athlete to just decide they want to get into broadcasting, it's not you just you don't just decide and then you do it. As you mentioned, there's a lot of work and a lot of preparation. And I'd imagine some growing pains, especially when there's an athlete who's just starting to do the broadcasting mm-hmm. without we this question could go one of two ways. Who who was the worst or who is the best? I'd rather focus on who in your mind was the most naturally talented broadcaster, uh, athlete turned broadcaster that you've worked with. Well, again, I guess. Whew, I had I, I know one thing. I, I you know what? I have had a record for the most analysts ever because I've done so many sports. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, and I've loved honestly. That's what the beauty of this is. I've loved everybody I've I've worked with. We've become right. great friends through the years. I, I have not had any real a hole or or dick or anything like that. That does you that censor a hole uh, but not dick. It's an interesting choice, but I yeah, like it. I like the yeah. move. Yeah, uh, I haven't. You know. I've had some that haven't put the work in or were really good storytellers and realized that they can't keep telling the same story. Right. Uh, over yeah, and over and after about five games ago, oh man, I better. And then they lean on them. I'm not there to give them instruction. I'm there to kind of be a pitcher, throw it down the plate. They hit it out of the park, whoever sure. it might be. Right. Uh, I will tell you, Joe's a great storyteller. He was a great, great storyteller. I don't think Joe ever wanted to be a broadcaster though, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, uh, boy. Well, you got Jim Nelford, Jim Nelford and David Faraday. You know, I've been lucky enough to work in the booth with those guys. Uh, Great storytellers have been there, done that. The guys who've been there and and the women who've been there and done that. Cheryl Pounder is a terrific broadcaster in women's hockey. Uh, Tracy Wilson, a multi-layered broadcaster who did mostly figure skating with me, but could do anything. Uh, But I've done hockey with some great ones, too. And, you know, they... They, Speaking they, they of the all, great one, they're all great storytellers. What do you think of uh, your good friend, our good friend Wayne Gretzky, and how he's doing right now? Have you, you know, seen I, any I saw of him early on, and I thought he was fabulous. And one yeah. thing I, I think it is deceiving, and a lot of people don't know, and I, I know Wayne probably thought about it too. Is, is Wayne Gretzky is an unbelievable storyteller? Right. If he's in the right environment and has the right person beside him to lead him, Wayne Gretzky will excel at whatever he does. I mean, that's the way he played the game, and. All you have to do is get to know Wayne, uh, be around him. I've been fortunate to do some of those TD events. I've done an event, I think, Ryan, with you guys, with Wayne. At at, at Framework, he personally was, requested you. He said, yeah, uh, he, I said, who do you I want love, to MC? Get Rod Black. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love doing, I, lo- I love being with the guy because I, here's the thing. I ask him a lot of questions that come from just watching Wayne Gretzky and it's kind of like they're, they're the normal questions anybody. It's not a, 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 I don't come from a broadcaster's, Standpoint, right. I, I'm interested. And every time I talk with Wayne Gretzky, and I have probably interviewed him hundreds of times, I learn something new about him. Yeah, that's fascinating. He's an amazing storyteller. If they can continue to bring those out, I'd like to see more vignettes with Wayne. I think also Wayne has an unbelievable sense of humor. Yeah. He has an unbelievable, he's got a great laugh. He loves telling jokes. Uh, he loves chirping people. The more I see of that of Wayne, that's the Wayne Gretzky I know. 
anybody else out there who is ever broadcasting and tries to become an announcer, and I've worked with guys like that have done that or women who have done that, don't try to become an announcer. Yeah. You have a play-by-play voice there. You don't have to be, you don't have to try to remember everything as well, everything through your head. Charles Barkley is probably the best at it because he just says whatever comes to his, his right. mind, which can be good, guys, and bad. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I was working with him on the air one night, and I, I said something to him, and, uh, well, you know, it's going to be that kind of night, Charles. And, and for some reason, they took a, a shot of a, a, a rather pretty girl, <laughs> and he goes, hey, listen, man. I'm not looking for Mrs. Wright. I'm looking for Mrs. Tonight. <laughs> and that was on the air. Oh, oh wow. Now, would he get in trouble? Yeah, you get in trouble for saying stuff like that. But, you know, the, the people, that's the, it's, the, it's the golden age of broadcasting. The golden rule is just be yourself. And it takes yeah. you a while sometimes to understand that. Be the same person that you are in the dressing room, having a beer, cutting your lawn, Getting into an accident on the highway, be that same kind of person that you are, and you should excel in front of the camera or behind the mic. And I, I just think, think, I think that's, that makes sense. That's Wayne they, Gretzky. And and they did a good job. I think in his in his first broadcast, they brought Charles Barkley on as well. Yeah. Uh, to kind of loosen him up. And that was fantastic mm. because as you mentioned, his sense of humor is is unparalleled uh mm. in, in a lot of ways, especially for someone of his of his stature and his history in sports. Uh but Charles He does have really an image too, though, you guys. You know, that's the thing too. Is like I, and I think Brian, you probably you've been around with him as much yeah. as I have or anybody else. Is that Wayne's very conscious of that image that he portrays. Right. right. Yet Wayne is Wayne is us. Wayne is like us. He's just an extraordinary, absolutely greatest hockey player ever played. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think he sometimes feels that he has to live up to that or is that. But, but Wayne's a beer drinking, good old hoser, Canadian hoser like the rest of us. And I think he does get caught up in that sometimes. When Wayne Gretzky is himself, Wayne Gretzky is the great one. I, I love that, and I think I think the more time he spends on air doing this, and the more he kind of opens up, the more we're going to get to see that we as as mm-hmm. the viewers, and I, I think people are going to be surprised, as you mentioned, the type of personality he can bring to the table. And we're getting into uh, kind of a, a point that I wanted to touch on as well. We've had guests on the podcast before who have been involved in in sports media, more particularly journalism. So it may not apply quite as much. But we had Mike Zeisberger on, right? And he said that he made a point not to fraternize with the athletes in when he can avoid it. He didn't want to get too friendly with them because he never wanted to feel as though he could, he would have to pull back on something that he wanted to write. It may be different in broadcasting, but do you find there's a similar sentiment or is it in fact the opposite when you're broadcasting? You want to be able to get to know the personalities and get these interactions out of them if you're ever going to be interviewing them. You know, I think that's really changed through the years. I mean, again, I, I, uh, I grew up, you know, broadcasting in the 80s where, you know, you no matter what team you broadcast for, you were part of the team. Right. And, you know, you, the way you – it wasn't as critical then. Again, we didn't have these. You know, could you imagine, Brian and Mike, if, <laughs> if Michael Jordan and, and Gretz and those guys had these in the 80s? Right. Our image images perhaps of a lot of the greatest superstars – would have changed a lot just because of the possible rants, possibly um, being in Things that they get situations on, they yeah. shouldn't be in, yada, yada, yada. But I do think at that time, it wasn't so much a fraternity because I, I, I have a lot of friends. And I will, to this day, say that I have a, you know, my friends in sports 
And I've got to know them as, as athletes, especially the really good people. Charles Barkley is one of my best friends. Great. Right. You know, I, I consider all of these people. Dave Ellett, he and I were roommates, for goodness sake. Right. I mean, how many broadcasters do that? But your best friends also know that you can be critical of them. Sure. But not in a cutting way. I've never been that kind of guy. I'm not a guy that, unless somebody is absolutely, absolutely a reprobate and has had issues, either scandalous things that have gone on, and it's completely black and white that what this person did is wrong, why do we need to carve them? Why do we yeah. absolutely need to cancel them? Right. I have a real hard time with that. Yeah. Yet I've met so many athletes who have so many redeeming qualities in our friends and be, mostly because of charity. A lot of them do a lot of great charity work, you guys. Yeah. And they, they give back. Those are the people, I wouldn't say they become your best friends, but they become great acquaintances and they're people you can lean on. And hence, you know, I get to host a lot of events and, and speak at some events. And I consider, I know those stories. Would I consider them? Yeah, I'll have a beer in that. But I mean, again, are they going to be at my house on Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner? No. Right, right. But I can understand the writers because the writers have to take a different slant. The days of writing a few years ago, guys, were about the game. Yes. You know, how, how you scored, what happened, what happened in the game. There might have been something critical. Oh, you know, Steve Smith put it in his own net. Yeah. 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 Now it's opinionated. Yeah. It's opinionated yeah. on the person as well. So it's a very, very different time. And there's a very thin line. I can understand why writers aren't. But I would also say that I have no no issue whatsoever having a um, a friendship, certainly right. with someone in the Ta business. Times have changed, Rod. As you know, it, to, to me, it was a lot more fun 15, 20 years ago when the guys were a lot more Those open. CCM golf classics, my friend. We talked about that. Mark Hepsher was just in, and we just talked about that and how much fun we had yeah. at those things and what happens behind the Do you remember the watching the O.J. Simpson chase? I, Lulu's? Funny you should say that. He said the same thing. And guess yeah. what? I was down in Florida last oh, right. week, and guess who walked by me at the pool? O.J. Simpson. <laughs> really? I couldn't believe it. He did nods he a, at me. I nodded him. On? <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at it. I said, I, I nodded back, and then I realized who I nodded at. It was crazy. But what I would say is that um, over the years, I don't know anybody that's yeah, built relationships with so many uh, athletes, and that's that is really good on you because they trust you. They know you have to remain objective. Uh, you know, you're not in the same necessarily position as a, uh, as a, a news or a, a paper writer, a newspaper writer, but they still trust you. Your, your relationship with Wayne, with, uh, with uh, Pud Borsky and, and all the, the skiers and anybody you've worked with all speak very highly of you. They trust you. They know you're going to be critical, but, you can still have a great relationship, which is why it was a lot more fun back in the day when you can, and, and I'm still okay because I don't have to broadcast any of this, but right. I do yeah. know one thing. Online, the thing that bugs me the most, and you say cancel culture, I, have, I follow our Facebook page religiously. Mm -hmm. uh, as the president of the company, I still read all the reviews and things, and I don't mind being criticized at all. But when the criticism is, your company's garbage, that yeah. just drives me crazy. I'll, I'll respond to anything mm -hmm. that we've done wrong and try mm -hmm. and fix it. But those guys, they just block. It's, it's just non-productive yeah. for anybody. And that's why they like you. You're not trying to, to cut the legs out from under them. That's what makes you good. Well, thanks. I, I mean, I appreciate that. But I mean, again, it's... I also, guys, I got to tell you, uh, and you work in it too. We work in, we're so blessed. I work in the toy department. 
Right. You know, we're doing scores. Uh, exactly. Yeah, we're doing scores. We're doing numbers. We're doing greatness. We're doing winning and failure. And, and by the way, we learn a lot from failure too. You don't think Joe Burrow learned a lot the other day from the loss in Super Bowl and how right. great he is. You don't think Gretz learned from the losses. You don't think all of these people. It's the beauty of the sport. And it's the fact that it goes back to what we talked about earlier. The endings aren't crafted. Mm-hmm. The endings... You just, there's an unpredictability and it's a beauty. It's like going to the theater and not knowing the ending every single time. And we're lucky we're in this. And that's why I do think that, yeah, there's scandalous stories. I think about the Russian figure skater right now and the doping scandal. I I, I think about, um, you know, uh, domestic violence and athletes who, who commit that. I think about Black Lives Matter and equality and diversion. There are some real serious stories that we have to grapple with and we have to fix and we have to change and we're changing them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kyle Beach story. Yeah. Never in a million years should that have happened. I don't care what anybody says. Sheldon Kennedy's a great friend of mine. We all thought that after the Sheldon Kennedy incident and everything that happened after that, okay, hockey, we're good. Let's go on. Never going to happen again. Guess right. what? It's going to happen. And that stuff happens, unfortunately. Right. And that's when we have to, as journalists, tell those stories. Right. But at the same time, we live in a world 95% of the time, we're having fun. And it's a game. Yeah. And that is the beauty. And, and, and all of those athletes that you talked about, Brian and Mikey, all of the athletes that we have met, they're, there for, they're in it for one reason. And I can tell you, it's not the money. They're in it because they love it. They love right. the games they play. Again, I hate to go back to 99, but I'll tell you, Wayne Gretzky... And you know, his, his his became the great one, and his had a had a, you know multi million dollar life. Wayne Gretzky would be playing old timer hockey with us, be on Tuesday nights, had he because he just loves the game. He just right. loves talking about the game. That's what happens if he never made it as a pro. That's the kind of person. That's the kind of person all of these athletes are. If they're right. in it for the money, they're in it for the wrong reason, and and they're quickly sourced out. I can't remember, Rod. Were you ever at one of Wayne's uh, fantasy camps? I know your busy yeah. schedule might yeah, have prevented no. that. No, but I saw a lot of pictures. And I know tell you got what. a lot of goals. Off the <laughs> what, did he, what did Gretz just say? Get in front of the net and he just bank it off your stick? Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> what you just brought up is how much fun he has just playing. He had more fun in those camps, sitting, joking, talking to the guys on the bench, mm. sitting in the bar afterwards. Right. Just, you know, telling stories. And nobody remembers everything. You know, my wife used to give me a hard time because she said, you can't remember a birthday, but you can remember what <laughs> club you used and the yardage coming in and nine. How does that happen? Well, Wayne's like that with hockey. Yeah. Every shot he took, how it happened. And when he gets in a room with a group of guys that are interested, and they all are, he's the best storyteller, as you mentioned, ever. And he has so much fun with it. Yeah. It seems like yeah. there are tons of stories like that too. And and I'm curious because we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, talking about sort of the changing of the generation, how how sports broadcasting and media and journalism used to be more about what's happening in the game. And, and it's since become much more about the personalities and the need to constantly ascribe a, a, a suspected personality to the athletes. You know, you, you, you held up your phone recently and it's like we're living on there constantly looking for new hits. The demand for the way in which sports are covered has been changing, as we've established. Has your approach to broadcasting changed in light of that, or have you managed to maintain consistency in terms of how you want to present the sports? Yeah, you know, it's, what's, what's really different is um, following the athletes now. Mm-hmm. 
And you know what I used to do is what I used to do was I used to have tapes sent to my door or discs and watch them. Now I can watch them 24 seven right. on YouTube and all of that. I also think they have their own narrative and they have their own voice, which is their social media feed, which, you know, people can, can throw away or not. Sure. But I do think you get a good idea of their personality. So, you know, you got to check 24 social media feeds sometimes mm. when you're covering games to get a little better idea. Um, I always like talking to the athlete, finding something out about them, a little nugget, just a little story. I still think their stories. I, I still believe the reason we love sports is not only the outcomes, but because of the stories. And you got to know those stories. So you still have to get to know the athlete. But I do yeah. know there are a lot of broadcasters out there who would just prefer just to, you know, whatever, or we'll read it from the newspaper and we'll take it as Sabbath, that that is, that is who this person is. I, well, I'd so like much, to think we dive a little deeper. I think I agree. we all should think, dive a little deeper. I think so much of, of quote unquote news media nowadays is essentially doing what you've described is basically just mm. looking at social media feeds and what other mm. media outlets have broadcast and presenting it as your own fact. The, the hands-on approach, it's like the equivalent of like the spending time in wilderness now. It's like turn off the phone, have a conversation with the person mm -hmm. and relate to them one-to-one -one, and that's where you're going to get those nuggets of information. Why would an athlete tweet about some little interesting anecdote that you bring out of them as opposed to just having it happen organically? I think that matters quite a bit. Um, we're running a little bit low on time, Rod, but I, I want to I touch a little bit on October of, of 2021 and, and uh, when you had announced that you were going to be uh, moving on from CTV and the Bell Media Network. Um, to join Frameworth. To join Frameworth. Yeah, our new host on the side. No, no, it's not here. that. I, I don't know if you know. Mikey, you haven't seen me? I've been working in the back in the warehouse. Uh, listen, I know the gonna quality tell you, of our frames have been picking those up. Those frames, they are so hard to do after a while. <laughs> if I see another Sidney Crosby picture, oh my God. Listen, we're, uh, we, we're, we're going to produce. By the um, way, one of the greatest, happen. greatest, greatest, greatest people I don't have to tell you guys that uh, I've had the pleasure of covering as well. And uh, he is more guarded than most athletes, as you yes. know. Uh, and I can tell you, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. I'm going to Pittsburgh right after this. We're going to try and see him score in a home uniform, his 500. 500th goal. And Troy and Trina, we've been, we've been like Gordie Howe following Wayne Gretzky. We've been going to game after game, <laughs> and he's like four, he's had one away for the last four or five games and I missed the one in New Jersey and I was actually for the first time in my life rooting against him scoring. I wanted a high <laughs> point because I don't have a lot of away jerseys, but I got home jerseys. And if he scores in an away jersey, I can't do the 500 goal specialty piece. We talk about the insight of how working in sports memorabilia in this realm <laughs> changes the it, way we it watch It affects sports. the way I watch the game. It's bizarre. It does. So how can you root against Sydney putting the puck in the net? It's an empty yeah. net. I'm on the edge of my seat. Said, don't put it in an empty net. We wanted it on in black New Jersey. Jersey. He passed it off. Great. He got a point. And uh, I'm going to Pittsburgh. I, I'm giving I you wanna... some good karma here. You yeah, there you go for you. It's going to happen for Frameworth. I I just want it to happen for Sydney Crosby. I agree. I just, yeah. So we all do. I, I just think the world of him. I think he's a phenomenal. Well, you know what? We talk about phenomenal athlete. Not just phenomenal athlete, but a great, you know, you say he's very private, but some of the stuff he does that nobody knows yeah. about, uh, the mm. charities that he donates to, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about, he has a private box at the, uh, at the Penguins, at the, at the arena, and he don't, he just, every game he donates it to underprivileged kids or kids that he wants to have 
the hockey experience. Nobody knows this stuff. Well, they do yeah. now, but he doesn't talk about it. He just does it. And that's a big expenditure, as you know, what a private box mm-hmm. costs. Yeah. And that's Sydney. Anyway, I just. I want uh, him to play for. I'm, I'm going to answer your question. I haven't even heard it yet, but um, uh, I, I want him to play forever. He's one of those guys I want to play forever. Right. I know he won't. But he's also one of those guys you wonder what he's going to do next, right? Mm-hmm. He's what is Sidney Crosby's next life going to be like? So it's well, very, ask him very that interesting. Tonight. Ask him. <laughs> Wish him the best. Congratulate, congratulate him after his 500th goal for me and everybody else. In- he he may be asking for some uh, some some lessons on broadcasting. We'll we'll send him your way. And uh, for those of you who aren't watching on YouTube and missed it, Rod just held up his. He's got his Team Canada jersey on as well. Getting into the spirit of the Olympic Games mm. right now. Um, but I did want to ask a specific question about an interview that you'd given uh, with TSN 1050. You had mentioned that you knew about the fact that you were going to be moving on from uh, CTV Bell Media at at prior to the actual announcement. Obviously, for a few games you had been kind of harboring this knowledge without anyone else knowing. Mm-hmm. And you talked about during those broadcasts, having that knowledge in you and having it kind of affect you and, and add more weight to to the broadcasts themselves, knowing that they were potentially among your last for the network. A, what is that like knowing that you're harboring that secret? And B, how often are you pushing back against something personal that happened in your life, knowing that you can't let that shine through on camera? Is that, mm-hmm. is that just a skill you had to learn? Was that innate in you? Mm-hmm. Is, or is that, has that always been kind of difficult? Uh, you know, I, I, I said before, I just love doing the games. And so the game is, and one of the reasons that I didn't, like when we had agreed to my departure and my next move into my next uh, chapter of my life, I just... They honestly kind of wanted a farewell tour. And anybody who knows me, that's not me. Right, yeah. <laughs> Brian knows me, that's not me. Um, and I just didn't want that. And I just didn't want that to be a last, last, last. Because I, I will tell you, those weren't my last games. I'm going to still be doing games somewhere, right. somehow, down the road. I got a lot of broadcasting left in me. So had they been my last games, and I know I'm never going to be back there again, I think I would have been a little more emotional or melancholy. Right. Um, no, I let the games... I think the final game, it kind of hit me because one of my best friends is beside me and Dwayne Ford. And it was a, just one of those nights was real. And I said, and I couldn't get on the field. And that's kind of why I wanted to do the final. I wanted to get to every stadium that I had broadcast at. I was able to do the Women's World Hockey Championship, which was a dramatic, obviously, with uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin. Even that, I just knew there was more games. And as it get a little closer and closer, you kind of know. And I was actually surprised it wasn't leaked that I was that, that I was going to be leaving. And right. But yeah, you got to, you really, you have to compartmentalize it. I mean, again, it's not about me. I'm not, I'm just a broadcaster. I'm just an air traffic controller and a navigator and I call the games and I'm a storyteller. And I've had to do, frankly, the hardest games I've had to do is when my mom passed away or my father-in-law passed away. And, you know, I chose to do games that night just because I thought that would be the way they would want me to. They know me. Right. They know me. There's no off switch. And uh, that having, I think, gone through some of those are real traumatic experiences that I had to broadcast through was able I was able to actually plank it out. So frankly, I didn't I didn't really feel uh, as emotional as I thought I would even to the last game um, because I didn't want to tell anybody. And I waited a few days afterwards and I had to call, kind of phone everybody and they kind of got an idea. All my I called all my analysts and the people I work with, the closest people closest to me. And um, 
you know, I, I wasn't as, again, I, I don't think I was emotional just because I just know there's more there. Yeah. Right. If it was yeah, like, big... it was like, that's it. But that's not it. I, I, I plan on be doing more games more. wherever it is, whether it is hockey or basketball or football or bowling or for whoever. Maybe it's radio. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's newspaper. Maybe it's for Frameworth National Television. <laughs> Let's get um, you into esports or something. What about that? I, I, I got asked a few years ago to do some esports, and I thought Did you? this is a funny thing. I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a prank. I was going to host something. I was at the convention center, and they threw a yeah. number at me, which was an astronomical number in. in in that 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 in, in my tax bracket, I'm going really. And I thought it was one of those spam phone calls or somebody <laughs> fishing. And I said, Ah, no, I'll call my agent. And then I found out later it was true. I'm going, Well, you idiot! Wow. But wow. Uh, esports is hey, it's it is what it is. Um, I, do I think it's a sport? No. Uh, do I think that there are some sports that are fringe sports? Do I think poker is a sport? No. But do I think they're great games? Yes. Sure. Do I think sure. there's a calling? Do I think it will be part of the Olympics someday? No, but they can have their own of course. entity. And I value, like I, I've actually watched Twitch and I've seen it. I think, I think esports is fabulous. I think it's great. And I think I do wish some of the kids would get off their little consoles and play a little more. Sure. But at the same time, to each their own. But well, hey, Mike, they're all games. They're all Mikey's games. A, they're all Mikey's games. a gamer and uh, he actually has another podcast called The Retrograde that he reviews games of that, mm -hmm. which I don't listen to a lot, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. I just don't understand. Because <laughs> you're a not lot on it. That. That's why. But I don't listen to a lot of podcasts and, uh, other than my own voice on sure, this yeah, one. Of course, I, why would I you? listen to? But, uh, but you guys but, are uh, the Joe Rogans of memorabilia <laughs> broadcasting, aren't well, you? Well, we yeah, try I and stay a little bit more politically correct, but yeah. other than that, yeah. don't say anything yet, Joe. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, touch them all, Joe. They're bring, bringing it back. Um, no, I, I do. I love I love esports. I, I like that direction. But as you mentioned, they're all games and they're all stories and they're all narratives. And I mm -hmm. I I know why you did undersell yourself as the broadcaster. You know, I'm just here as the storyteller. This and that. But there's a reason why we don't watch sports without the volume on. You know, the sounds of the game, that's one thing. But even watching it live, we miss the broadcaster, we miss the announcements, we miss the the narrative that you that you that you spin. And I think that you add almost as much to the game, you and, and broadcasters like you, as much to the game as the players on on the field or on the ice or on the court playing it. Without it, the narrative just just doesn't exist. We we like we maybe aren't as creative. We need the storyteller. We need someone to spin the webs. It's not enough to just think about a story. Someone has to tell it to you. That's a great point. And that's point. your job in this. And, you, and you've been doing a great job at that that's, for that's, 40 plus years. That's a, great, that's a great point. Because, you know, when I grew up, again, it goes back. Did I ever think, talking to you guys, like my 10th birthday was the day that Paul Henderson scored the goal. Mm. Oh, wow. And uh, to this day, because of this, what I've done and the friendships I've gained every single year on September 28th, Paul Henderson calls me. Oh, <laughs> oh really? He calls wow. me and wishes me happy birthday. And we're like, wow. man. But you go back to those days and you think about all the iconic voices and the way they framed the moments. Right. You know, Henderson scores for Canada, you know, and touch them all or whatever it might be. Do you believe in miracles? We need, you're right. We do need those framed moments because the mm -hmm. games do need a soundtrack. Yep, you, absolutely. Otherwise, you just go to a game, you watch it, it's fun to be there. But I can tell you, everybody who goes to a game 
and if you win, you go usually watch the broadcast after too. So watch the highlights. So that's why you gave me shit like yesterday because I'm trying to watch the. We had the Super Bowl party <laughs> okay. at our place with all the kids. Everybody's there, and they're yakking and they're talking about. Oh my about god! Their, Same thing for me too, B. Their, their <laughs> bets and all that. I'm, for Christ's sake, shut up! And they look at me. What are you talking about? I said I'm trying to listen to the game. You guys are all. You got all your prop bets and all that going and who dogs are barking i said for christ's sakes i'm trying to watch the game and then for the rest of the night all they anytime i said something dad quiet we're trying to watch the game it's a a super bowl party i would set him up i'd ask him a question he'd start answering be like hey dad i'm trying to watch the game could you be quiet for a second but here's the problem it's a super bowl party we're all together and then even during the commercials we weren't allowed to talk because he wanted to see wanted to listen to the commercials (laughs) you watch the american commercial yeah we got the american yeah fire stick thank you yeah exactly there you go (laughs) I'm a proud Canadian, very proud, but we got to get better ads. I'm sorry. Those ads were phenomenal. I have never seen so many cameos in one uh, platform of ads. Like it was crazy. Every Hollywood actor was in a commercial. It was the the yeah. the, uh, the money being spent on advertising these days is probably going up and up and up. Uh, but look, we don't want to take too much more of your time, uh, Rod. We thank you so much for joining us. Is is there anything you want to push people towards uh, apart from Rod Black TV on Twitter? Uh, is there any any projects or anything you want to push? I know you've been involved in Plan Canada. Uh, anything else you want to kind of put a spin on there? Well, I don't know. I just uh, you know uh, yeah the Rod Black M- Memorial Holiday Fund. You can, uh, <laughs> funded by Brian Aaronworth at the French River, because all I watch on Facebook is pictures of him You're always getting welcome. fake fish out of the fake river. Fish. He's got yeah. scuba divers. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we putting fish stuffed. on hooks. Exactly. That's the only No, way you know what, guys? I, I will tell you that, uh, as I said before, I just, uh, I can't wait, uh, getting closer and closer to, you know, finalizing what I'm going to do the next little while. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be calling a lot more games. Um, and, uh, you know, the good thing is, I, I guess for all of us, just, you know, we're, we're, uh, it looks like we're getting near the end of what we've been through the last two years, uh, where we had to do a lot of this. I can't wait to see you guys in person yeah. and, yeah. uh, see more charity events where we can have in person golf events. Um, I don't think we realize until many years later, um, the impact that this pandemic has has had. I'm sure you guys have seen it in business. I'm sure Absolutely. everybody out there watching and listening has had have been affected uh, by health and wealth. And it's just so nice right now that we're getting that much closer to finally being together again. We're humans. We need human contact. And that is another beauty of sports. As much as it's nice about broadcasting, we can watch it. It's nice to get to a game, whether it's a pro game or I'm going to watch my daughter play, watching your kids play. Um, it's just so nice that we're finally getting on the other side. I'm, I'm finally encouraged because I don't know about you guys a year ago, a year and a half ago, I thought, okay, another two months, we're out of this. Well, another two months, we're out of this. Another two months, we're out of this. Well, you know what? It's, it's taken a long time and it's taken a lot. Um, but I will tell you one thing too, humans like uh, athletes, we're, we're uh, resilient and, and we are able to move on. And so next time I see you guys, I want to see you in person. I, I oh, love it. That's for sure. We, uh, I, you know, we, we can overcome humans are resilient. I totally agree. But during that time, during the pandemic, uh, especially in the early goings, the first couple months, we realized as a species how important sports were. Oh, yeah. And during those coming months when things started to open yeah. back up, 
the amount of connection yeah. that broadcasters like you gave to us to feel as though we mm-hmm. were sharing a story with other people and connecting to other people across the, the country and across the world, I think was integral to our mental stability and survival over the course of that time. So thank you for that, Rod. And thank you for joining us once again at Rod Black on TV. Thanks for joining us. And hey, if you ever want to come back, you're, you're more than welcome. Always to welcome. I'm coming uh, in. So I'm for- coming in, boys. I'm coming in. There you go. We'll, we'll get Lock you. Lock those we'll doors. We'll off the assembly line again. And get yeah. my, hey, and tell those guys in the back of the warehouse I miss them. I want to get back to doing some more Crosby frames. Yeah, I think they might dock you pay for taking this oh, hour to spend go. with us. But Rod, thanks so much for, for joining guys. us on this podcast. For Brian Aaronworth, president of Framework Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast. This is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is my Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!